This is a Timmet podcast. This podcast is part of the series On the Marge. This episode is part of the second series. Chronologically, it falls somewhere before episode 35. The title of this episode is Kidnapped. Kidnapped. Most of the things we do are dictated by logic, but some of our activities are driven by traditions. Maybe the way our parents and grandparents did things, or or family gatherings, Christmas trees, that sort of thing possibly developed many generations ago. But where do traditions come from? Our first Christmas on Walnut Crescent, I assumed that the nativity scene on the McPherson's front lawn was a tradition rooted in many years of practice and religious observance. I was surprised then when the tradition seemed to evolve. Pamela McPherson was not the sort of person who struck me as being open to change and evolution, especially in themes connected to religion. But but that's what happened. The first year, the nativity was quite simple and traditional. A flat plywood Mary faced a flat plywood Joseph across a simple manger made of two-by-fours. Peering out of the manger was baby Jesus, who we later found out was one of Becky's childhood dolls named Agnes, swaddled in an old dog blanket. The whole scene was bathed in the light of a single floodlight on a timer. It was really quite in keeping with the traditional humble beginnings of Jesus' birth. But it got better every year. Better, or or at least different. The next year, flat plywood Mary and Joseph had been repainted into a shepherd and a wise man. The replacement Mary and Joseph were three-dimensional. I think they were replica Greek lawn statues that Dave McPherson had found in an end-of-summer Canadian Tire Garden Department sale, dressed up in flowing robes that Pamela had devised out of bedsheets. They were a nice addition. The following year, A simple stable made of two-by-fours appeared over the scene to give it a bit more structure. That required a second floodlight. Well, okay. And the year after that, two cows arrived on site to lend more authenticity to the stable theme. Well, I think they were supposed to be cows, although my husband Chuck said they looked a lot like reindeer. One had a flashing red nose. When the roof line of the stable sprouted red, green, and blue flashing Christmas lights, I thought the humble ambience was starting to dissipate and the pulsating electric icicles hanging down were startling. But, okay, I suppose Christianity can adapt, and what did I know about climate change in the Middle East anyway? The year that the inflatable Frosty the Snowman appeared as a backup wise man, I started to have my doubts, but said nothing. However, last Christmas, the year the Empire struck back, I asked Pamela about it. So what's the idea of the Imperial Stormtrooper and Darth Vader in the wings, I asked. And don't you think that the flashing Rebel Alliance Death Star hanging over the stable is a bit much? Well, we have to keep up with the times, replied Pamela. I don't think she was really a Star Wars fan, but she did know that Darth Vader and the Stormtrooper were bad guys. I didn't think to tell her that Star Wars was from 1977, so she was hardly keeping up with the times, but... Well, they're sort of like Herod the King and a Roman soldier. They have their part to play in the story, too, explained Pamela. Young people these days are straying from the Christian path. Maybe Darth Vader in my nativity scene will help bring them into the fold. And besides, Dave said he got a really good deal on them at Canadian Tire. I was skeptical about Darth Vader's effectiveness as a Christian missionary, and I guess I wasn't the only one. Two days later, Pamela burst into the kitchen in the middle of the morning. Jesus has been kidnapped, she wailed, and there's a ransom note. It turned out to be a ransom email from some unrecognized Gmail account. 
She had printed it out to show me. This is what the email said. We may be hardened criminals, but we're also Christmas traditionalists. Get rid of Star Wars from your nativity scene, or you will never see Jesus again. How would they get your email, I asked. Well, that's no secret, replied Pamela. It's on posters and websites everywhere to help coordinate the beans for the food bank operation. But, but who do you think would do such a thing? Oh, well, it could be anybody driving by who is um, struck by your nativity scene. I, I almost said offended by your nativity scene. Do you think it was Joseph Glatt? asked Pamela. He's Jewish, you know. Jewish people don't have Christmas. No, it's not Joseph Glatt, I said. The Glatts do celebrate Christmas. And anyway, Joseph is a real Star Wars fan. So I really don't know. Pamela was adamant that she wasn't going to give in to the kidnappers' demands. That would only encourage them to do worse things, she declared, although she admitted she couldn't imagine anything worse than kidnapping Jesus. Pamela's phone call to 911 reporting a kidnapping generated immediate interest. However, when the police realized that the victim was only Agnes Jesus from the front yard nativity scene on Walnut Crescent, their enthusiasm rapidly diminished. They politely took the details, but didn't seem to want to put much effort into tracking down the criminals. Our daughter Alex was concerned. The McPhersons couldn't have a nativity scene without Jesus, so she loaned Furry Bear to Mrs. McPherson. Alex claimed she didn't need Furry Bear anymore now that she was five, and that Furry Bear was furry, so he would be okay outside in the cold. Just in case, Mrs. McPherson made new swaddling clothes out of a towel for Furry Bear, before popping him into the manger as a stand-in for Agnes Jesus. There, declared Mrs. McPherson, that'll show him we're not easily intimidated. But the kidnappers weren't easily discouraged either. They sent one email every day to Mrs. McPherson. In the beginning, they were just photos, no message. There was a photo of Agnes Jesus downtown at the SS Klondike, then on the front steps of the Guild, then on an airplane seat that looked like Air North, and in front of Lord Stanley's statue in Vancouver, then in the middle of a forest somewhere. So it looked like Agnes Jesus was getting out a bit to see the world. At least the kidnappers seemed to be looking after her. In all the photos, she was still wrapped in her swaddling dog blanket, still smiling. Palma McPherson refused to give in. Darth Vader and his stormtroopers stayed on the McPherson's lawn, under the blinking light of the Death Star. The kidnappers became desperate. The next email arrived with just a message. No photo. Get rid of Star Wars, or we'll corrupt Jesus, it said. Ha, Pamela said to me. They can go ahead and try. Jesus is Christian. They'll see he's incorruptible. He's a good example to us all. I kind of thought she was losing touch with the relationship between real Jesus of 2,000 years ago and Agnes Jesus of this December, but I held my tongue. The next photo from the kidnappers showed Agnes Jesus with one hand out of her swaddling clothes. She was holding a lit cigarette and smiling as if she was having fun. But the photo after that showed Agnes Jesus slumped over, passed out beside a half-empty bottle of vodka. Pamela was full of anguish, but still wouldn't give in. Jesus suffered a lot worse than that. Or she will, anyway she said, still a bit confused on timelines and exactly who was suffering and when. The following photo showed Agnes Jesus still smiling, as if she were actually looking forward to snorting the two lines of cocaine laid out on the table in front of her. And on the afternoon before Christmas, the final photo arrived. Agnes Jesus was still in good spirits, still smiling as she held the large hypodermic needle awkwardly in one hand and contemplated the string tied tightly around her other arm. Agnes Jesus had become an intravenous drug user. But see, she's still smiling. See, her spirit isn't broken. Jesus is an inspiration to us all, declared Pamela. 
Her husband, Dave, rolled his eyes. And then the miracle. Christmas morning was clear with a gorgeous red sunrise that streamed in our window through the quiet forest. Alex slept in, which was unusual, and that gave Chuck and me a bit of extra time to cuddle. Merry Christmas, we murmured to each other. But, but then the magic was broken by the insistent beeping of the phone. Who could be calling us this early? It was Pamela McPherson. Quick, quick, come see Jesus, she shouted. So we struggled into pants and parkas over pajamas. We pulled on boots and toques and mitts and hurried down the street to the McPherson house. Chuck noticed the change immediately. What happened to Darth Vader, he asked, and the stormtrooper? The Death Star was gone, too. I don't know, replied Dave McPherson. They were there last evening, but disappeared during the night. The manger! Look at the manger! shrieked Pamela. We looked. There were two faces peering out. Furry Jesus was curled up next to Agnes Jesus, who was still smiling. That was last year. I see that Dave McPherson has put up the nativity scene again for this year. Yes, still a stable, a manger, Mary, Joseph, shepherd, wise man, snowman, and two reindeer, and lots of lights, and a new electric palm tree. No Star Wars, though. So Alex has declared that on Christmas Eve, we're going to watch the original Star Wars movie. And then first thing on Christmas morning, we're going to put on our parkas and pants over our pajamas and go down to the McPhersons to sing Away in the Manger to Agnes Jesus and Furry Jesus, who are now joint tenants of the manger. All this to celebrate the triumph of the Empire over the forces of darkness. It's a new tradition, marveled Pamela McPherson. The miracle of modern Christmas. This has been a Timmet podcast in a series called On the Marge. Instrumental intro and exit are courtesy of Kate Weeks. If you would like more of these podcasts, check out the podcast website at timmet.ca slash podcasts. That's T-I-M-M-I-T dot C-A slash podcasts.